This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hello, thanks so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. We bring you these stories every week of agricultural innovation, of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of the agriculture industry. We're currently engaged in our mini-series on tools for the modern farm business. We partnered with Granular to bring you some really, really great stuff, and today is no different. I mentioned late in 2018 that I wanted in in this coming year, which is now 2019, uh, to do more stories on rural entrepreneurs entrepreneurship and tools for rural entrepreneurship. Uh, not that we're completely fleeing our other pillars, which are ag tech, sustainability, and food security, but I just felt like uh, I hadn't been doing enough of, of good stories related to rural entrepreneurship, and I was I was inspired by a couple episodes uh, last year with Brady Sidwell and Devon Cook and others um, about how we can sort of equip um, rural businesses with the tools they need. So today you're going to get a bit of a free consulting session that, uh, you know, if you got anywhere else, you'd probably have to pay for. Uh, but we have on our show today, Dick Whitman. Uh, Dick is a former uh, manager and now board chair of a 20,000 acre Idaho family farm partnership involving crops, cattle, and timber, and provides consulting services to family farm businesses and financial management in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, in 1980, he left a career with a farm credit and joined the family farm in Idaho and established a part-time consulting practice. Well, little did he know that it would grow to the level it has now. He specializes in financial management, developing management systems, and solutions for business succession uh, and conflict resolution. In fact, he's gotten to the point now where he does a lot of writing and training the trainers and does uh, not so much work with, directly with, with clients, but we're very, very privileged to have him on the show today. Um, our Discussion goes from the importance of family farms, uh, how family farm managers in today's um, markets and in today's uh, society need to operate more like executive officers, like CEOs, COOs, CIOs, CFOs, etc., and uh, how they can go about changing their mindset. Really, really, really enjoyed this, uh, and I think you're going to get a lot of value. For me as a small business owner, I was eating it up. Um, if you're a farmer or entrepreneurial in any way, I think you're going to leave here with uh, skills to better manage your business. So enjoy this conversation with Dick Whitman. Dick is going to start off by taking us back to how he got into the consulting side of the business. Right out of graduate school, I spent eight years with the farm credit system. And in 1980, I had a chance to go back to the family farm and managed that operation with my dad and uncles retiring. And many of the people I worked with in D.C. had encouraged me to continue what I was doing in a way of consulting work on some part-time basis. So not even knowing what a consulting business was about, I embarked on one and, and uh, started out doing a lot of work with financial institutions, but gradually evolved to working with family businesses in transition planning, um, setting up formalized governance systems, and a lot of uh, financial work. So 40 years later, here we are. Um, I've evolved from doing client work to mostly doing train-the-trainer workshops and and uh, mostly public speaking, uh, not so much client work anymore. And when you say train the trainer workshops, are, these are training other people who want to consult with, with uh, farming organizations? Yeah, we have a 
huge demand for people who can assist farmers on setting up better family management systems, uh, transition plans, and uh, a lot of people that I've worked with over the years in the financial services field would like to go into that next step, but they don't actually know what it what it takes to set up a consulting business. And so I started about 18 years ago doing train-a-trainer workshops for people who are either already doing consulting work or want to get into it and want to want to elevate their processes and, and push their horizons a little bit deeper into uh, some of the areas that we could get into in family businesses. And uh, I know you come from a, a, a family uh, farming and ranching background in, in Idaho. Um, what is it that kind of has you so passionate about, about sort of the family farm and the role of the family farm in the future of agriculture? Well, I don't think there's any better um, element in society, better positioned to produce food than the family farm business. But we have to put business in that phrase. And what gets me excited is when people, they have a passion to be in this industry and they realize that it's not only do you have to be a good farmer, but you have to be a good business person. And they're willing to to seek excellence in both sides of the equation. It's where our best outcomes come in agriculture, our best successes and the least amount of stress as we go into the future. I want to pause right here just to take a minute to thank Granular for sponsoring this mini series on tools to manage the modern farm business. The opportunities that come with increased access to technology and data are changing the way we farm. Here right now from Gina Harms of Cleet Farms in Gearing, Nebraska, on how they're using technology to make better, more profitable decisions. We are a family operation and we grow through relationships with other farmers or relationships with other people. And that's how we found Granular. They kind of stand out from the competition because they're more than willing to help. I feel like they have the same values that I do and they really get you up and running before you even start. So it's really set up to be farmer friendly. The features that are in Granular help us make better decisions. So when we're looking at that information and we're making a plan for next year, we're much more confident in what's going to work because we're able to track what's going on. The biggest selling point to us was you can go by crop, you can go by field. We can look at how much it costs us for fertilizer per bushel. So there's a lot of value there. You can easily figure your break even on the different crops. Granular is an agriculture software company dedicated to building stronger, more profitable farms. With web and mobile apps grounded in advanced data science technology, Granular, an independent subsidiary of Corteva AgriScience, helps farmers make data-driven, real-time business and agronomic decisions with greater confidence. Check out their digital solutions to help you better manage your farm at granular.ag. Big thank you to Granular for sponsoring the Future of Agriculture podcast. Is there any common areas for improvement that you see among most farm families? I know succession is a big one that comes up quite a bit. Uh, but just in terms of day-to-day management, where do you start if, if, if you're training a trainer that wants to help farm, uh, farm operations? The first step is putting more definition into what excellence means in the family business. Most farmers get into farming not because they want to manage people or finances. They get into it because they want to grow things. But if they're going to succeed, they realize they have to be um, skilled in finance and marketing, human relations, and all that stuff. And so the the areas that I see people having the most challenges is trying to elevate their financial management skills, their record keeping systems, their analytics, their ability to recruit and train and, and motivate people and keep turn them over at a minimum. Um, very few farmers have an effective strategic planning process. They're very much operational focused. 
So taking some of these management disciplines where people that take these disciplines seriously and elevate them to a level of excellence, it takes a farm from just operating in a state of daily chaos to a an organized, forward-thinking business that has a clear vision and they're managing towards that vision. And I know you've been a part of the uh, executive program for agricultural producers for a long time. If somebody's listening and has never heard of that program, could you just give us a little bit of background on it? Well, this is kind of like a one-week Harvard or Stanford MBA for farmers where they, they spend the whole week polishing up some of their managerial processes. And a huge part of what they're doing also is networking with other farms and ranches from all over the world who are trying to define what excellence is in managing a business. We have an incoming survey that all participants take called the Management Proficiency Test. And it simply asks basic questions like, do you have a written mission, vision, and values in place? Do you have a strategic plan in place? Do you, do you calculate cost of production? These are questions where they can either answer, I have it in place, or I'm working on it, or I need it, but I'm not working on it. And the interesting statistic here is that in 25 years of teaching down there, the the average score of these classes is down the 20s and 30s, which is far below a flunking grade. And when you look at each one of these areas of skills, people realize when they're asked the question, well, the correct answer should be yes, I have this in place, or I'm doing these things well. But the reality is that these are large multi-million dollar businesses who operate in a very informal fashion. They don't have job descriptions. They don't have organization charts. They don't do performance appraisals. Uh, there's very little in the way of standard operating procedures. Um, they keep records, but they're not typically shared with everybody on the management and ownership team. Or when they do, they realize they do it poorly. So basically, you have a room full of highly motivated learners that are trying to redefine what is excellence and then how do they pursue a, a development journey over the next ensuing years to, to polish up those areas of their business. Hmm. Very interesting. And you said that the failing scores, have those been trending lower? Or are you just saying that that's where they are uh, year in, year out? Well, the scary thing is we've been doing this survey since 2001. So we've got 20 years worth of data. And the classes, if you if you take the, the metric that 90 is an A and 80 is a B and 70 is a C and D, same thing above 60 is a D, when you have the percentage of the class that's adopting these things down in the 20 and 30%, as a class, it's a flunking grade. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is every year, we know the class is going to flunk but some classes flunk at a lower level than others. And the even scarier thing is that with all the education that we have nowadays, some of these areas are getting lower levels of flunking scores today than they did 20 years ago, hmm. uh, particularly in the financial proficiency area. I've taught many of the people that are in this class now, I've taught their parents 30 to 40 years ago. And there are people that survived the crash in the 80s where they went to night school and they did what it took to learn how to do a lot of these financial uh, skills. And their kids are not as well educated as your parents. Yeah, that is scary. What, uh, what's, what, what do you think it looks like? I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, I'm setting you up here for a big question that uh, is probably difficult to answer, but what does it take to turn that around? I mean, to, to, to get those headed in the right direction? Well, it always starts with an awareness of what it is you're lacking. And then second of all, being able to articulate the consequences of not being well-skilled in these areas. So if you... If you're admittedly weak in the area of, of HR and, 
and somebody can come in and say, well, you have no org chart, no job descriptions, you don't have any SOPs, you don't have a training program, you have no performance evaluation process. How are people going to know where they stand? How are you going to set standards? How are you going to seek the best quality personnel? In adopting some of these professional practices, um, people start realizing that that needs to be just as strategic as going out there and trying to produce a high quality crop with the best agronomy skills that you can get. The, the second dimension there is, you know, several years ago, three or four years ago, we had record prices and, and we had a lot of young farmers who never had a bad year. So all you had to do is just wake up and farm and you made money. Right now, we're in a totally different economic environment where commodity, basic commodity groups are barely producing at a, at a break-even or slight margin. The dairy industry has been hemorrhaging for the last several years. So when people start being stressed financially, then they become more motivated to figure out what can I do differently? So we're seeing a lot more people showing up for classes where they're trying to get a better handle on their finances, trying to better understand cost of production, how to understand the impact of a strategic shift in your business and how it affects the bottom line. These are things that you can be taught or someone can walk you through. But unless you're hurting, unless you realize you have to change or strategically change your business to survive, you don't go looking for ways to better optimize your business. Yeah, and that's it. I I know that not as a, a farmer myself, but as a small business owner, same thing. It's when things are going wrong that you you start waking up to what you've been doing wrong this whole time when the money was coming in. Because <laughs> uh, I have been there. I know in general with 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 training, um, you know, one of the best things that can happen in that case where you're looking for answers is sort of getting a quick win. Is there any sort of a, a quick win that you teach in your programs where it's like, okay, well, if if you can get if you could start here and get this part figured out, you'll see those results that will keep you motivated to try to get the results in other areas. Anything like that? Well, that's a great question. And I think when when people go to this class, they we tell them on the first day, take out a blank sheet of paper and put to-do list on the top. And any anytime you we hit you with something where you realize I need to change this practice in my business, I want to see your pencil with paper. Well, by the first day, you've got a full list. And by the end of the week, you've got enough work for the next 10 years. So then it's, what are you, what's the highest priority? What are the quick wins? What's the low hanging fruit that we can capture? And I would say at the very top of that list, uh, the first thing is a very low percentage of farmers and ranchers do a good job of of calculating accrual versus cash net income. We're in a world that, that allows us to pay taxes on a cash basis. So unless you're motivated to really understand food performance, many you don't have a system for converting cash to accrual. Well, if you don't have accrual data, you have no platform for doing racial analysis or performance analysis or any kind of analytics on how well are you doing as a business. So that ends up going to the top of their list because on the financial side, um, we have them come in and bring a five-year trend sheet. Most of the people have never done it, pull out their tax records and fill out this data. And then they get down and they realize that data is virtually worthless. Um, another low hanging fruit is the the whole area of HR, just getting a better handle on there's got to be structure in your organization that, that clearly defines people's roles and responsibilities in the way of job descriptions. Not being afraid to put a a really simple performance evaluation program in place. About 19% of our classes over the last 20 years actually do performance evaluations. That's scary. That means that 80% of those businesses are operating in an informal environment where there's no formalized feedback system. When they get done with some of the HR classes, they realize that's just insane. 
how how can you make anybody progress if they don't know what they're doing well and what do they need to improve on? And by giving the, the key part of there's not a lot of theory at TPAP. It's a little bit of theory along with a lot of practical. How do we get there? So taking that fear out of the, the idea that this is going to be hard. Uh, SOPs is another prime example. I teach the class on process improvement. And when you say the word SOP, most farmers just cringe. They see that as bureaucracy. But once you demonstrate the, the costs of, of inefficiencies and problems with communication when you can't articulate repetitive processes, a very low percentage of the class has a written safety policy. We pretty much scare the living heck out of the class with the consequences of not, not having a clearly defined safety policy and an SOP for implementation. And then when you get through a segment like that, you can show them that with a simple click of, a, of a Google, you can get examples and templates that are out there where this is not a hard thing to do. So showing them that you don't need to invent some of this stuff. You just need to accept the fact that it needs to be implemented in your business. And then how do you quickly access good samples, good templates or models so you can adapt in your own situation? Right. And it, with with uh, the program, how many are admitted every year? We get about 90 plus or minus in the first year. And then we have about probably 80% of that comes back for the second year. Okay. And I imagine they have to apply and and be admitted. Is that right? Correct. And I know you offer, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, when we were in, in the three or four years ago, we were up to half of the class on a waiting list. That's how much there was demand for this class. Hmm. Uh, With the economics this past year, we haven't had near the number of people on the waiting list. And I think it's a, people are just, holding on to their dollars and trying to survive in many areas of agriculture. Right. Yep. And I want to talk more about that, but, but I know on, on your website, uh, which is WhitmanConsulting.com, we'll put in the show notes, but you offer a guidebook. Is that covering some of the same concepts that someone might get at the program? Yes. It's, it's, I would liken it to like the John Deere manual of how you sit down with a family business and try to put in place a, a professional management and governance system. If you say, okay, I agree, I need to have a written mission, vision, and values. I need to have a more formalized strategic planning process. I need to start tuning up my HR processes by writing job descriptions and having specifically documented farm policies and SOPs. The guidebook basically walks you through the how and the why, and then it has sample templates in each of those areas where you can see how other farms who have successfully done this. And it's not, the idea isn't that you go in there and copy and paste. The idea is that when you take a concept and you can see how it's been implemented, you can see quickly how you can adapt those same things to your own operation. Hmm. And you might take a sample set of policies with 19 policies that are typically seen on a farm and read through them and go, well, three-fourths of those are what I'm actually doing now. I just never wrote it down. And a fourth of those, you might go back and go, well, I need one in that area, but I don't agree with that policy. But we need to make one up that fits our farm so that there's common understanding in our business of what to do. I basically developed that after almost 30 years of working with clients where it was you can't just preach theory to them. You have to hold their hands through the implementation process. And I found that by giving people examples of successes, they're smart. They're very capable of doing a lot of this themselves. They don't need to hire an outside consultant to do a lot of this on the farm. 
Over the amount of time you've been doing this and, and you've, you've been around kind of this type of work through, through the eighties, which, you know, everyone will know is a, a very hard time in farm economy. Um, what, what's the biggest change you've seen or, or, or what surprised you most in, in the span of time you've been doing this? Well, I would say that you look at the survivors today and the, the really successful businesses up and down the road are the ones that are understanding that there has to be equal emphasis on on all areas of excellence in the business, from agronomy to finance to marketing to HR to family business dynamics and governance. Um, they've got everybody on their teams that are taking personality tests and learning how to better communicate. These things that you hear about, you read about in farm magazines, you go to workshops and you get dabbles and pieces. The really successful businesses today are the ones that are, are tackling every one of these areas with excellence in mind. They're not just saying, I, if, if I'm just a good farmer, then all the rest of this stuff will fall into place. They're realizing that time at the desk, time on strategy, uh, working on the business is just as much, just as important as working in the business. Dick, if somebody's listening and, and they think, you know, I, I would love to to help farmers, you know, solve this problem. That sounds really interesting. Maybe they're not a farmer themselves, but they have a farm or agriculture background. Um, I know you do these train to trainers. Is there a place we can point to them to go to check this out and explore further if it might be right for them? There's on my website, I, I have syllabuses for several different kinds of workshops and the train the trainer program is on there as as one of the things that we do, and they can see you know what we cover over a two day period, what the topics are. The people going through these classes may have skills ranging anywhere from financial specialties to they want to do the family business side or they want to do succession planning. This is more about how do you how do you set up what is the process consultant? How do you define your deliverable? How do you create a transparent process with a client? And in that course, we give them lots of tools and tricks of working with family businesses where we help them to better articulate the story of what does excellence mean. Hmm, very cool. Um, well, can you just talk about kind of your thoughts uh, on on the farm economy and maybe the outlook on the future of agriculture, just whichever direction you want to take it? I uh, uh, obviously, you've talked about the the trend of of needing this type of business process and business education. Uh, but anything in addition, as you as you look at the state of agriculture today and moving forward, that uh, that is is top of mind for you. Well, I think every time we get a, a stressful period in ag, you can you can look at the ag producers in three strata: the, the above average, the average, and below average. And during Pretty good times. Everybody gets to stay in the business, but the bottom end of that is just struggling. But they're they're not losing money, so they're surviving. In periods like this, we're washing out the bottom tier. The middle tier is struggling to break even, and they're realizing I can't continue where I'm at. I have to strategically think about a different way to go. Maybe maybe I need to merge with a neighbor. Maybe I need to create a different value added process, or maybe I need to look at my farm as not a fully sustainable farm. It's a part-time farm and I need to get a job in town. The people in the top tier, when they're already in that maximum efficiency range, even in tough times, they're still making money, but they're also positioned to capitalize on some of the best opportunities for growth. Some of those in the bottom middle tiers that are, are exiting the business are, are looking to, to get out, oftentimes looking at that top tier is their exit plan. So I think 
the biggest mistake we make is when we're in the best of times, we're looking for opportunities and we should be looking for opportunities during the worst of times and putting more and more emphasis on strategically uh, re-engineering our business. What can we do to be more efficient? What can we do to get more, more revenue out of the same assets? How do we take a look at our equipment line and ask ourselves, do we really need everything that's out there in that shed? How many of us are underutilizing very expensive combines and sprayers and should be looking more at strategically aligning with the neighbor while we're sharing those resources? There are tools that we've always had on our disposal, but unfortunately, we have to have a stressful event to force us to think about these because our independent nature is we, as long as we can afford it, we would just as soon remain independent. Probably the thing we didn't get a lot into today that I think it's the least favorite part of farmers is, is keeping books and getting to the heart of cost of production. But uh, I've worked with the Farm Financial Standards Council now for almost 30 years. And in 2000, they embarked on a project to try to develop better standards for agriculture on cost of production and benchmarking. And we, we just need to get better at this. Um, most farmers that even think they're doing it right are nowhere close. The, there's probably never been a time where we didn't put more attention into getting an honest uh, answer for that. Programs like Granular and others that are allowing us to track on an activity basis what we're actually doing, I think are going to go a long ways to revealing things that we don't understand well. We're able to track field by field, enterprise by enterprise, and look at margin contribution to fixed costs in a way we have not been able to do for a long time. But we still have to be able to drill down deeper and better understand our overhead cost structures. Direct input costs are not a problem. It's our overhead that is the, the killer of many businesses. So the more that you and others can encourage people to take a hard look at what are their skill sets and understanding this, and if they don't understand it, there's <laughs> programs like the King Rance Institute where we have management accounting workshops where people really dive into this and they, they learn how to do it. So I, I think this is going to be another big issue that's going to separate the excellence farmers from the mediocre ones. And uh, by getting a close handle on this, it starts affirming those strategies that are making you successful and pointing to things you need to change if you're not. Yeah, one thing that kind of blew me away from from the farmers we've already talked to in this series is uh, every single one of them has has um, mentioned that they could foresee hiring somebody that they call a data manager in the future. So um, that person, it may be, you know, somebody who's also maybe like a technical agronomist, but uh, their primary responsibility is sort of aggregate and help analyze all of this data. I thought that was really interesting um, insight into into how they're thinking about their businesses. Well, the whole area of whether you call it a chief, in, chief information officer or chief financial officer, data manager, farmers have historically tracked a lot of data, but they, they've, you've burned up all their energy just trying to collect data and then they've not had any left over to analyze it and turn it into information and conclusions that would support changing their strategic approach. And it's the pay dirt is mining that data and coming up with those answers of we need to change strategies here and then being able to take alternative strategies and simulate them with a financial system that says if we change this way it will have this much effect on ROE if we do that it'll have a different effect on ROE and actually go after those strategic changes that have the most impact on the business that's one of the fun things in the finance class at TPAP or we we spend a lot of time with the DuPont model and showing people how to measure the impact of a strategic shift 
And people are blown away by how sometimes a simple fix can have a huge impact on an ROE. Hmm. And yet something else they're doing where they're spending a huge amount of energy is going to make a very small impact on their bottom line. Right. All by by kind of looking at the data. Yes. If we can say, all right, if I'm doing this now and I make this change, how do I quantify that impact on my bottom line? We can actually do that. And when you do and you see good things happening, you have the motivation to make the change. Whereas if you just you think it will help, but you don't have any way of measuring the level of impact, there's not nearly the motivation to bite off some of these large strategic shifts. And it would seem to me that while, you know, we always hear the statistics about there's fewer and fewer people in full-time production agriculture, you know, approaching 1% of the population, but it would seem to me even with that trend in place, um, as the farm average farm size gets bigger, uh, the type of topics we're discussing here become more and more important, and there's probably more uh, a greater number of farms that demand this type of help. Oh, I think absolutely. And you you have to be able to be willing to put a value on data. And we, for a long time, people have gone out and tried to buy the cheapest software they could to keep the books for tax purposes. Over 50% of the class at TPAP every year is using Quick, QuickBooks or Quicken. And I'm not criticizing that. It, they, for what it does, it does it well. But if you want to go beyond tax accounting, you want to do accrual-based analysis, you want to get cost versus market value, if you want to really get a handle on cost of production by enterprise and you're raising five or six different commodities, you can't get there with this kind of software. You've got to export data and then add all kinds of supplemental analytical systems to get there. So stepping back and saying, what is the value of this kind of information if I could get it delivered to me in a more integrated fashion? Um, The consequences of bad decisions without this data are costing farmers a lot more than what they're saving on on software Hmm. and the education it takes to run it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big piece where, uh, you know, I, I think that is that is kind of the, the skill we're not talking about enough is the ability to learn how to use some of the modern tools at our disposal and to implement them, you know, quickly and seamlessly. There are a lot of days where I'm sitting at the desk and I hate doing what I'm doing right now. And my daughter, who's now in the role of CEO and doing a lot of the finance and marketing, she frets about some of the time taken to sit down and do a lot of these analytics. But when you can take that data and you can sit down with your team and you can show where where you're doing well, where you need to improve, those are those are answers that put bottom line profit in a way that you can't even begin to to get by just going out there and throwing a little more fertilizer to crop. Hmm. So it's, you have to value data. You have to value sitting in an office, spending that time mining the data and having the time on the job to interpret better ways to doing business. Um, I've had people that say that we're lucky because we have enough people here that somebody can work in an office and do bookkeeping during the day. And they come back and say, you know, on our farm, that's not work. That has to be done on weekends or Sundays. And I just, I'm sure my, the look on my face is incredulous. <laughs> if that's the word. It's, it's like, you don't consider that part of running a business. You're going to be dead. You won't, you won't survive. And many of those with that attitude are no longer in business today. Hmm. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a paradigm shift for sure. Absolutely. How about for you personally? Are you still managing your own operation? Um, and, and what does that look like? I am in my second year functioning as actually starting in year three of 
in a new job, which is board chairman and transition coach. And I'll say laughingly, that means I don't make any decisions or any plans. <laughs> but we've transitioned the, the management to the next generation, the four very capable um, family members. Uh, I try to stay out of day-to-day operations. They were continually learning how to do a better job of of using me in the role of mentor. And I'm continually learning how to be better at not micromanaging, which is a challenge for anybody where you're still an owner invested in the business. But I think it's a it's a dynamic that more and more people are struggling with today where we have senior leadership ready to transition the reins to the next generation, but they're still invested in the business and they don't they don't understand how to get out of the way but not go away. We're actually doing some retreats this later this year for retiring CEOs and they can't wait because they they're they're still healthy, they're engaged in the business. They've got youth that's come up where they're they've handed the reins over, but they're still invested in the business significantly and they they can't just walk away. And so this is an area that it's got a lot of need for education and networking and how to do this better. For for those farm uh, business managers out there, farm owners that are wanting to uh, maybe diversify out of just, uh, I guess what I'll call commodity agriculture, you may have a better term for it, but you know they want to do some sort of value add where they can have a, a, a product that they can differentiate. Is that a transition you help with as well, or is that a little bit out of the, outside of the scope of what you would do? Well, that's really a strategic planning area. And I think strategic planning is a, is a, it's one of the most significant responsibilities of the board of directors and senior management team. So we do this quite extensively on about a three year cycle. And it's a job where the CEO pretty much leads the process, but the owners and, and me specifically, I will engage with my input, but I, I also want the future management team deeply entrenched in looking at these issues. You know, should you grow? Should you seek a value added? We're always looking for a specialty crop that might have new revenue. But the minute you find one, you better be looking for the next one because as soon as you do it, everybody else is in there copying it and, and whatever value added was there quickly goes away. So we're, we're pursuing many creative ways to get more out of the resources we have. We have cattle, we have timber, we have crops, we have hunting. So we already have a huge amount of diversification. But even within those resources, every year we go back and look at, well, how can we do, how can we manage each of these resources more optimally than we are now? Dick, I really appreciate your time. This has been very interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's got my wheels turning about, you know, the HR stuff that I'm so focused on. If there's any way I might be able to help, uh, help others with the HR side as, as people are growing their teams. Um, so thank you for this. And, and if somebody is listening and they want to reach back out to you, uh, either to get involved in a train the trainer program is the best place to send them your website. Yeah, that would be great. It has all the contact information. Okay. And that's whitmanconsulting.com. Correct. Hey, hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for sticking around all the way to the end. Big thank you to Dick Whitman and to Granular for making this episode possible. I will definitely be going back and listening to this one again. Very, very valuable to anybody with a a business, uh, especially a farm business. So uh, really enjoyed that. Hope you did too. Thank you also to those of you who have taken the time to leave a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast player you use. I haven't read one in a while, but I've got one here from Pat of Kenwood, California, my home county of Sonoma. 
Sonoma County, California. Pat, thanks for leaving this review. It says, inspirational. Thank you for showing the future of agriculture is bright and exciting. Uh, if you haven't yet, I would love a review from you as well. Take the 30 seconds to go to iTunes or whatever you use and leave that there. Uh, make sure you check out Dick's website, uh, WhitmanConsulting.com. It's also in the show notes where you can get more tools discussed in today's episode. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week.